I don't know how many folks know this, but I, uh, I'm going to tell you a little personal story here of um, deer hunting. I love, I grew up in the country, uh, I love deer hunting and fishing, and some of y'all are like, whoa, I don't know about this right here, but I live in Parker County, so that exempts me from any of that. Um, but I love being outside, and so my dad and my brother and I, a couple years ago, we have a, a ranch out in Carbon, which is about 90 miles west of here, but we got on a deer lease, which is where we got to go, and we got to hunt not our land, but somebody else's, and it was a large ranch, about 10,000 acres, and we hunted there for about three years, and it was a great opportunity for me and my dad and my brother to just get away, get away from the busyness, and we would go spend a couple of nights out there. Sometimes we would take the boys, our, our sons with us, and it was a great experience. And there was this one time, we had three deer blinds, um, and usually we all hunted separately, but there was the occasion where my dad liked to spend time with us, and so he would jump in the deer blind. And on this one particular instance, um, this, this particular weekend, my dad said, hey, in the morning, Saturday morning, I want to get up and I want to hunt in the morning with you early. So we get up about five o'clock, we make it to the deer blind, and uh, we're sitting there, and it's like you get a second nap. You get there about 45 minutes before it's light, and so I don't know why we do that, but that's just what we do, and we fall asleep, and then we wake up, and it's light outside. And so about seven o'clock that morning, it's light, and uh, this ranch is known for, it's a, it's a low-fence ranch, and it's a management lease. So any deer that we would harvest off of there, we had a uh, a wildlife biologist who would literally uh, check, hey, was this the right time to harvest this deer? Was he five and a half years old? And there's a lot that goes into it. Some of y'all are boring, but that's okay. There's a lot that goes into this. And so this buck, we, we wake up from our morning nap at 7 a.m., and, and there's a huge buck in the deer feeder. And at this point, I'm like, that's the one I've been waiting for. I could tell he was at least five and a half years old. He was a full, mature buck. And my dad said, if you don't, I will. And so I said, no, 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 no. I've got this. I, I, I want to harvest this deer. And so, you know, if you've ever been hunting or you get, maybe you just get nervous. Sometimes you get the shakes or whatever. And so when you're, you're deer hunting, you get a little nervous. And I had to take a couple of deep breaths. I, I put my, I rest my gun up and he said, all right, man, you good? And I said, yes. Whew. Took a deep breath, and I, I readied, and man, took a great kill shot, harvested a nice buck. When I shot, he jumped out of the feeder, and he ran just a little bit, and he, um, some of y'all, I, I can just tell, some of y'all are like, I cannot believe this, this pastor hunts, but uh, it was a good, clean shot, and where my dad was in the deer blind, he couldn't see it. I saw the whole thing man, I was praising the Lord, literally, like, God, thank you for letting us harvest this deer. We eat a lot of deer meat in our family, and so it was a great opportunity, but my dad couldn't see it. All he saw was the deer jump out, and he, the whole time, you, so after you shoot, you wait about five or ten minutes, you kind of just calm down, you make sure nature does its thing, and um, I saw the deer on the ground, and my dad says, son, did you, did you miss and I said, no, Dad, I saw it. And he's, you know, a couple seconds go by, and he's looking through the binoculars. Matt, are, are you sure? Man, he jumped out. It sure looked like he took off. And I said, Dad, I see the deer. Like, we're start arguing out loud right now. And he's like, man, I just don't know, Matt. I don't think so. You sure? He kept saying, are you sure? And the whole time, I finally said, I think I called him bro, because I just got fed up. I was like, bro, he's, he, I see him. I, it was a great shot. I see him. And so we get out of the deer blind and 
we get up there, take uh, about 10 yards from the, the deer blind. He finally sees it. My dad sees it, and he's like, yeah, son, I knew you hit it. And I'm like, no, what? You've been doubting me the last 10 minutes. And so we get up there, and my brother comes over on the Polaris, and he's like, man, I heard the shot. And my dad starts telling the story as if he believed the whole time, or even he shot the deer. Like, Chris, it was a great shot, man. He hit him, and, and the whole time I'm like, man, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I had shot and harvested that deer. And my dad just couldn't wrap his mind around that until he was able to testify as a witness that he saw, okay, my son did make a good shot, as if he believed from the get-go. What does that have to do with 1 John chapter 5? As sure as my testimony was, of harvesting this deer. We see a beautiful passage this morning from 1 John where he desires his reader to know, hear this, to know that those who believe in the name of the Son of God may know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they have eternal life. And so let's pick up 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 6. I know we have a lot of kiddos in the room this morning, so Kids, I've got a project for you. As we read this passage out loud, I want you to listen for three words, okay? I want you to listen for agreement, testimony, and testify. Grab your, your, your pen. You can mark in your parents' Bible. I give you permission to do that. I want you to underline that, and even more so in this project, I want you, as we read those three words, agreement, testimony, or testify, I want you to shout out amen. All right, can you all do that for me? Good? Yeah. All right, thank you. Thank you. So, 1 John chapter 5, picking up in verse 6. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies... Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, Amen. the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. Amen. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony Within himself, the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given him about his son. One more. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Good job. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us this morning. Father, would you enlighten our hearts, Lord, as we saw 10 times uh, the testimonies of, of as we're going to see here in just a second, of so much that points to your Son being the Son of God. Would you open up our eyes, our ears, Lord, for those that are, are doubting? Would they listen, not to my words, but to your scripture, that you are good, right, and perfect, worthy to be praised? And Father, you give us the assurance as Christians. Help us to cling to that truth this morning. We love you. We praise you. We beg you to do a work. In Jesus' 
name, amen. Great job, kiddos and adults. I heard a couple of amens in there from some adults. As a reminder, John is writing this letter with such a pastoral heart. We've seen it all throughout this series, and he continues to call these brothers and sisters back to who Jesus is and to who they were. So he's writing to them in the midst of a culture that were denying the claims of Christ, that he was the son of God. People, false prophets, had added to, they had taken away from the true gospel of Jesus. And so John is encouraging them to be faithful. Don't be deceived. I know that they're saying this, and I know that they're, that you're claiming, that they're claiming that. But brothers and sisters, remember this. Hear this. Behold this. And what is this? That Jesus truly is the Son of God. Big idea. The main aim this morning is that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And all of the false prophets that John is, is writing to them and, te- and, and saying, hey, be careful, they are claiming that Jesus was not the Son of God. Church, Jesus is not just some historical figure. He's not just some dude who practiced magic and led people astray. He wasn't just a devout religious leader who was somewhat inspiring. He wasn't just a myth created by man. He wasn't just a prophet like Muhammad or an enlightened man like Buddha or a good teacher like Gandhi. He didn't just do the good works as Mother Teresa. He's not one of many paths to God or some made-up person to make us feel good about ourselves. No, church, he is Jesus Christ. He's more than just a man. He's fully God, and he is fully man at the same time. And he is also the one that the entire Old Testament pointed to. And at the same time, the entire New Testament lays testimony about. He is our Redeemer and our redemption. He is the second person of the triune God. He's the Messiah, the servant, the suffering servant, and the servant king. He is the Christ. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and he is the one that every knee will bow and tongue confess. He is the eternal Son of God. And Christian, hear this morning, your birthmark, hear this, your birthmark of being a child of God is rooted in this, that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, it is so vital. You're going to see here in just a few moments that John literally is summing up this letter right here. John continues to build his case here as the eyewitness to the life, ministry, and and even to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as he nears the end of his letter, and we get to our passage It's as if we find ourselves in a courtroom and John lays it all out. And he says, don't just take my word for it. Let's call on the testimony of several key witnesses. Verse 6, Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth, for there are three that testify. The Spirit, 
the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. The first witness, if you're taking notes this morning, that points to Jesus Christ as being the Son of God is that of water, the witness we have of water, which is what? It is Jesus' baptism, and his baptism occurs in all four gospel accounts, and it's, it's kind of a big deal. It's what sets him into ministry. The triune God is revealed, and it's at that moment that Jesus is anointed for his earthly ministry. Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. There's going to be a lot of scripture, because this, this is not, I love how scripture interprets scripture. This is not Matt's interpretation. This literally is pointing to the true testimony of the water here. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So the Father anoints the Son with the Spirit in this moment, and we see the words of Isaiah 42 come to life. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Or in the Gospel of John, that's why you see John the Baptist, he can proclaim with such certainty of who Jesus Christ is. In chapter 1, verse 29 and 30, John the Baptist says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. Testimony of the water. John goes on and he baptizes Jesus in the water. And the water here for us, for the readers as well as us, testifies that Jesus is not just a mere man. That he is the Son of God who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The testimony of the water. So just as we saw Jesus' ministry begin with the water, we now see his work finished through the bloodshed on the cross. The second witness, again, if you're taking notes, that points to Jesus Christ being the Son of God is the witness of the blood. We have the witness of the water. Now we have the witness of the blood. John, over and over again, he reminds, he's been reminding his readers that Jesus was and is the eternal Son of God. And in John's gospel account, we see chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, one of the most quoted and looked up scriptures, hear this truth, for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The testimony of the blood. Back in chapter 2 uh, and 4, uh, yeah, back in chapter 2 and chapter 4 of First John, John testifies that Jesus is our propitiation big word meaning this, Jesus' death is what satisfies the wrath of God. Chapter 4, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. And love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice 
for our sins. The testimony, the witness of the blood. As the Son of God hung on the tree and blood ran out of him and fell on the ground before him. It's only right and appropriate that he can look at the Father and he can speak these last words and say, it is finished. And a lot happened in that moment, right? You can look at Matthew's account in chapter 27, but the atoning sacrifice was made for the sins of the world. Darkness fills the land. We see again in Matthew 27, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and they appeared to many, testified to many. And all of these events through the testimony of the blood shed point to the Son of God, our Messiah, being crucified. That's what John is bringing his readers back to. Remember the baptism, but let me tell you about the crucifixion, the blood shed. And all of those events that happened in Matthew 27, just as another example of the testimony, that's what led a Roman commanding officer to testify, surely this man is, truly this man is the Son of God. The testimony of water, the testimony of blood, and now we see the third witness that John uses in this first few verses in 6 through 8. The third witness that points to Jesus Christ being the Son of God is that of the Spirit. Water, blood, and Spirit, the witness of the Spirit. Have we seen over and over again in John's letter here, the Spirit is the truth. That's been one of the themes run throughout the entire letter that Pastor Ryan's talked about, that the Spirit is the truth. In John 15, in his gospel account, listen to what Jesus says, talking about the Spirit. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. The Spirit of truth from the Father testifies of the Son. We saw it in the Spirit testify in His birth, uh, the miraculous birth. We see Him, uh, the, the the Spirit testify at His baptism. We've seen throughout Scripture, you can go to the Gospel accounts where uh, Jesus is being tempted. We see the testa, the testament, the testimony of uh, the Spirit in the, te- <clears throat> excuse me, in the temptations, and then all throughout His ministry up into the crucifixion. Every act of Christ was brought about by the power of the Spirit. Every act of of Christ, it was brought about by the power of the Spirit. One pastor says it like this, the witness of the Spirit is God's witness to us, in us, and through us. Just as the arrow of a compass always points towards the north, the Spirit of God always points to Jesus. Folks, John provides three witnesses, clear testimonies that point to Jesus being the Son of God. No questions asked. And here, interestingly enough, is why that's important for his readers, because culturally, 
in this culture, you needed two to three witnesses, eyewitness, eyewitness accounts who would give testimony to the truth of what took place. And that wasn't just a good idea. That was biblical for them. Deuteronomy chapter 19 says, one witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person, whatever that person has done. A fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. John delivers three powerful witnesses, and they all testify. They are all in agreement of who the Christ is, who Jesus is. And he's not done yet. He continues on in verse 9 and 10. So kiddos, stay with me. A few more verses to cover, but I want you to count now how many times. You don't have to count out loud, but I want you to make a note how many times just in these two verses, uh, 9 and 10, that you hear the word testimony. Verse 9, if we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. So the next witness, if you will, remember we're in a courtroom, we've, we've had three witnesses thus far, the water, the blood, and the, uh, uh, the spirit. Now John says, hey, believe man's testimony, yes. Like believe the things that I've said, that's great. But the witness of the father testifying of his son is something that you can bank on. Hear what he says. Now, I love in our community groups, every group that starts, we, uh, and usually kind of just a regular rhythm, is we share stories, right? Like a personal story, a personal testimony is meaningful. I love listening to people, how the Lord has saved them, how grace has covered them, how the Lord has redeemed them, and it is powerful. They share it with passion. It's meaningful to get to just hear what God has done in their life. How much more should we hear the testimony of the Father and cling to it? Like, I'm not discounting what God's done in your life, but John says, hey, I'm not discounting what God's done here, but let's actually see the testimony. Let's hear the testimony of the Father. The testimony of God is the most reliable and trustworthy evidence that we as Christians can stand on. John says, don't take my word, take the Father at his word. Last year, we went through a sermon series called The Beauty of God. We looked at God's attributes over and over again. His, His character was proven true and reliable, and one reason is because God does not lie. And here's what I mean, Hebrews chapter 6. I want you to hear this. You can follow along behind me. What a beautiful passage. God does not lie. This is why we can trust his testimony. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater, like just let this blow your mind. He had no one greater to swear by. He swore by himself, right? So when people take the stand, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me, God. God is on the stand and he says, I'll tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me because I'm God. Listen to what I am saying about the son. He swore by himself. I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose 
even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, brother and sister in Christ, to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf. What great news. God, because he no, long, uh, no one greater to swear by, swore by himself. And because it's impossible for God to lie, he's called to, to the stand, as I said, and under his own name, he testifies of his son. And he says, yes. Jesus Christ is my son, and you can bank on my unchangeable plan of redemption. This is, this is the plan A. There, there's no plan B. This is the plan. And Christian, if I could just encourage you this morning, you can bank on the testimony of the Father. What beautiful truth it is to know that he loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross in your place, in my place. That has been the plan and is the plan, and that's the message of the gospel. And the gospel says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and God says, this is my Son and my plan. That's the testimony. How much greater of a testimony do we need than that of the Father? Now, with this testimony, it actually demands a response. Right? So you, you can get by with personal testimonies like, oh, that's cool, Matt. I'm glad God's done that in your life, but not in mine. Like I could share my story. It could be convicting and, and compelling and, and passionate, full of God's grace. And somebody could say, that's cool. Now they can't go against that because that's my testimony with the Lord. I have that assurance. We'll see here in just a second. But they can certainly just bypass that. They could probably even maybe bypass the three, which in this culture they couldn't. That's why Deuteronomy 19 was so vital to them, because three witnesses, not just two, but three testified, and we're all in the same agreement that Jesus is the Son of God. But this testimony of the Father demands a response from all men. Every one of us have to make this decision. The Father has spoken, and all of the evidence points to Jesus Christ being the Son of God. And now, interestingly enough, you find yourself on the stand. John says, the one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. So at this point, that, that's a big deal, just to be very clear. You're, you're on the stand. At this point, this isn't, this isn't out of the, the norm for John, right? Like he's pretty, he's pastorally in his approach, and he's loving and kind, but he's also very directed. He said over and over again, you're either a child of God, and you believe Jesus is the Son of God, or you're a child of Satan, you either love God and love others, or you love yourself and you hate God. Just a few chapters earlier, that's what John says. 
C.S. Lewis says this, you must make your choice. Either this man, speaking of Jesus as the Son of God, either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. The testimony of the Father demands a choice. So to my, my non-Christian friends here this morning, I just plead with you, beg you, to hear the words of Christ, to believe in the witness of the Father. Because Jesus is either everything or he's nothing. He can't just be something. He can't just be a good guy. He can't just be somebody who makes you feel better about yourself. He is either everything to you and we bow and say, we love you, Lord. We trust you. We give you our life to you, Jesus. Or you have to make the decision. He can't just be something. He's either your everything or he's nothing. You're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan. That's the testimony that, you, that demands a response from us. And if he's your nothing... Would you hear the good news that Paul says in Romans chapter 10? If you confess with your mouth and if, that Jesus is Lord and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, you will be saved. If that's you this morning and you're just wrestling like, man, I don't know, I'm not good enough, I'm not clean enough, I, I've done a lot of bad things, hear this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Fall at his feet and call him Lord, because he is worthy of all of our praise. And then Christian here this morning, John is calling you to remember the testimony that the Father has given you through the Spirit of truth. Just as Paul was doing in Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. I told you earlier in the, the intro that as a Christian, your birthmark of being a child of God is rooted in this, that Jesus is the one and only Son of God. Like, this is it. This is what we bank on. His whole letter summed up. John says this, this is it. Verse 11, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then the main idea, all the pleads, all the things, John says, I have written, I've pleaded with you, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
I'm writing all of this so that you may know you have eternal life. Daniel Aiken, in one of his commentaries we use, he says this, why John writes 1 John, this is kind of his paraphrase, as if he was John. I am writing because you are true believers, but there are deceivers in your midst, just like back then, just like now. And I want you to be rock-solid confident in your present possession of eternal life as, a regenerate, as regenerate children of God, so that you are not drawn away after sin. And if this letter has that effect, my joy, John says, you'll see in the next two weeks, will be made complete. John's built his case for the true marks of the believer all throughout these last few chapters. He's made the evidence very clear. Pursue God, obey his commands, love as God has first loved. Now, in his gentle and loving but yet stern pastoral voice, he says this, this is it. The evidence, all of the key witnesses, your own life, your own testimony, the testimony of the Father, they all point to Jesus as the Son of God. And because of that, you can bank on who Jesus is. You can live today without any fear. You can testify that you have, beyond the shadow of a doubt, eternal life today. You can bank on that, that you have eternal life forever. You have eternal life, Christian. So I plead with you, as John has pleaded with his readers, don't, don't be deceived by the false prophets. Don't be caught up in bad theology, as in eternal life is something you can lose. You cannot. Jesus is our assurance that he, the son of God, is the one that we bank on. Don't doubt because of bad theology or because of disobedience. Don't doubt because of hate. Flee to Jesus as the word of life who is eternal life, right? Like if you're banking on your feelings of how you feel today, chances are it will, you will flee to uh, sin. Your feelings will disappoint you. They cannot be trusted. I have kids. I know this. I've got a five-year-old, I've got a seven-year-old, and I've got an 11-year-old. 11, you cannot bank on your feelings. They will come and go, and they are deceiving. But, Christian, may your confidence be in the Son of God, because no one else is worth believing Yourself, I love you dearly, but yourself is not worth believing. You can bank on the testimony of the Father, and all of Scripture points to Jesus Christ as being the Son of God, and you can have that assurance. Jesus says in the Gospel of John in chapter 10, he says, I give them eternal life. Man, can you, can you just hear this this morning? This is Jesus' word. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus' word, the Son of God, but listen to this. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus himself is saying, you can bank on me. You're, no one's going to snatch you out of my hands 
but you can bank on the, the best testimony of them all. My Father in heaven, no one will snatch you out of the Father's hands. That's what John is trying to just drive into these, to the people. Don't be deceived. I close with a, the great Charles Spurgeon, one of his quotes on, on this sermon. Listen to what he says. Christianity puts forth very lofty claims. She claims to be the true faith and the only true one. She avows her teachings to be divine and therefore infallible. While for her great teacher, the Son of God, she demands divine worship and the unreserved confidence and obedience of men. Her commands are issued to every creature. And though, at present, her authority is rejected by millions of mankind, she confidently looks forward to a time when the truth of God shall obtain universal dominion, and Jesus the Lord shall take unto himself his great power and reign. Now hear this. Now, to justify such high claims, the gospel ought to produce strong evidence, and he says, and it does. It does not lack for external evidences there are, these are abundant. We have just talked about five of the, the witnesses. The water, the blood, the spirit, the father, Christian in here, your own testimony of what God has done in your life. We just prayed and thanked the Lord for so much of the spirit doing a work in your hearts. No one can come against that. Like whatever the spirit gives you, the, the good words, the, the words from the, the, uh, the, the word of life, whatever the Spirit does in your life is between you and the Lord. No one can take that. Why can I say that? Because no one will snatch you from the Father's hands. That's why you can bank just on those testimonies. And then John takes it a step further and says you can bank on the testimony of the Father because no one, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. And with that... Live with that assurance. The doubts are going to come. I think we'd all be lying if we stood up here and said, I've never doubted. The doubts will come. Usually, not always, for me, usually those doubts come when I'm trusting something other than the, the testimony of the Father. For example, my feelings. I just don't feel like God loves me. Like I've done this, I've been wrapped up in this sin, I just don't feel this. When I don't feel something, I have to go to what I can bank on, and it's the Word of God. I have to. And in that brings a great delight and assurance. Why, why one of our core values, delight in the Trinity, is because that's what we can bank on. Not Ryan, not Lucas, not Rick, not myself, not any leader in here. We bank on the Word of God, and you can, you can have that assurance so rest in the truth of who Jesus says he is. Rest in who the word says he is. Rest in who the disciples and all of the apostles point to and who Jesus is. Rest in who the Father says he is. This is the testimony. Father, we thank you for your word. God, even this, this week working through this and just thinking about um, things in my own life. It's so hard not to, not to preach about those things in, in my own life, but your word has, 
has just jumped out at me this week. It has illuminated my heart and my soul to just cling to this assurance that nothing can pluck me out of the hands of the Father. But that, that's me, Father, that's me. And I, I pray, Lord, for those who are struggling this morning, those who are wrestling as I have so often, Father, that you would lift their weary eyes and they would see the word and hear the word and in a moment respond to the word. You are good, right, perfect. You cannot lie. All of your promises are yes and amen. And Lord, we can bank on the testimony, not, not just of man, while those are good, but we can bank on the testimony of the Father. Lord, open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear from you today. Lord, we need you. Our hope is in you. I beg you to do a work as we sing the songs, as we have our word of assurance, as we get to partake in the testimony of the Father. Through the Son's body broken on our behalf, in his blood shed, Lord, we are entering into a time where you invite us to the table to respond. Your testimony demands a response. Today, Lord, I pray that we would say, Jesus, you are our everything. Help us, Lord. Would your spirit move in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.